I hated everything I just said. So can we cut that out and go to this question? Yeah, sure. Okay. Ask it again. Okay. Welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, marriage, and parenthood. I'm Barry Liga. With me is Morgan Baden, and we are here to talk at you. How are you feeling, Morgan? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Hi, everyone. Hey, there. Good, good. Morgan has been under the weather for a little while and is feeling so much better now. I, you know, you get hit with a sort of one-two punch sometimes. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah, but anyway. It's, it's tough. I don't like talking about being sick. Okay. We, we're not going to talk about okay. it. Just, you know, I, I mention it purely because there is a hope on my part that somebody in the listening audience will send us chicken soup <laughs> and or medicinal marijuana. <laughs> and so far, neither of those have happened. Any of the times we've mentioned one of us being sick, nobody has come through. So I, mean, I don't know. California, we're looking at you. I don't know much about medicinal, but I do know that pretty much all we have to do is open our windows and <laughs> the is, scent of marijuana. This is true. Through, this so. is true. Where where we live, uh, the, 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 they are fans of the weed here. Anyway, so uh, before we before we get started in earnest, I wanted to do a little bit of follow up on a couple of things. First of all, you know it's a Barry Liga episode when there's follow up. <laughs> Yeah, because Morgan doesn't bother I following don't. up. <laughs> so, first of all, in our last episode, episode 43, the one where Morgan disses Alan Moore. Hey, we, Alan. <laughs> he's a listener. Uh, I talked about lists and awards and yeah. went, went off on one of my intemperate rants yep. and, and realized later as I was listening back to the episode that, as, as often happens, actually, we talk about something and then we divert ourselves from that topic right. and, lose and I, a thread. And, well, and not even just necessarily losing a thread, but I forget to say something that I meant to say that may have added additional context to the intemperate rant. Yep. And that was simply that what I was trying to say is that there's nothing wrong with lists. There's nothing wrong with awards. What I think is wrong is the way we all look at them. And I just think we should have a different perspective on them. That's all. Okay. That, that, that's what that whole rant boiled down to. So I just wanted to make sure I said that. Okay. Uh, the other thing I wanted to follow up on was from uh, episode 42, the previous one, the one where Barry drops the baby. <laughs> I should insert a crying baby sound here. <laughs> um, where I sort of went off on NaNoWriMo. Okay. And, you know, it's funny because about two days after that episode, I started thinking about it. And sort of doing a little deep dive into Barry. And uh, and I realized that, that what bothered me about NaNoWriMo was I felt like people were doing sort of frivolously the thing that I take extraordinarily seriously. Oh. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what, though? Me being upset about that is like a major league baseball pitcher getting pissed that a guy is playing catch in the park. Yeah. And so... I completely recant what I said. Wow. NaNoWriMo, you and I have no quarrel. It's fine. I still, I can't get on board because I'm just not a team player. Yeah. But that has nothing to do with NaNoWriMo. It just has to do with the fact that I do not enjoy being part of a group Uh of people with a common goal. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That bothers me. So anyway, there you go. There you go. No, I think that's really, A, I think that's a very interesting um enlightening that you had post well now we're gonna hear from people who are angry at me saying oh so me writing a book is just playing catch in the park huh but no but that's I think just it, the analogy yeah, i chose it, well it's funny because you know with my career being at this point in time partly in social media um there's a tendency for some people not so much 
these days anymore, but two years ago or so, when you told people you worked in social media, they were like, oh God, I'm on Facebook all the time. I can't believe that's your job. That's so easy. Or something like that. And and so, um, and I still, to this day, I get a lot of people who don't have any background in social, um, but they will get jobs in social media. And then they will call me just to, quote, pick my brain for a couple of minutes about what it means to do social media as a a job. Right, because everybody thinks they can do it because... They, they're they, on Twitter they and it's fun. An occasional and, tweet. And right, then they get yeah. a job and they have no idea what they're doing and they call you to find out. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, um, so, you know, I used to get a little bothered by it because they would be like, hey, Morgan, tell me everything about your career in 20 minutes right. while I drink this cup of coffee so that I can go do the exact same thing in my right. career. Because it's so easy. Right. And, it, it, you know, I used to get a little huffy about that. And now you like, get really pissed. <laughs> I, I do get a little pissed. No, but, um, but I also th- realized, like, I mean, they'll learn. They'll learn. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much by day two, they will realize that they are in for a lot more than they thought they were. I, so. I, I feel like the exact words you said, the exact expression, the exact tone of your voice will be applied to our children. <laughs> That's probably I, true. I just, I just feel it in your future, you going, saying the exact, they'll learn <laughs> the exact same thing. So I, I enjoyed that little look into the future. So let's talk a little bit. We, you know, we like to reward those who comment on our site and and who write into us. We love to talk about what they want to talk about. So we've got a couple of comments from previous episodes that we've held off talking about because mm-hmm. there were so many other things to get into. But let's go ahead and do that sure. now. Like you said, it's a Barry Liga episode, so it's gotta <laughs> it's gotta have feedback. So let's talk first of all from uh, from episode forty one, the one where they argue about blazing saddles, um, Sarah. Longtime listener Sarah, who I met at New York Comic Con. Oh, hi, yeah. hi Sarah. Uh, she she wrote in and, and asked us about writing groups and wanted to know how we found our writing groups. Are we a fan of writing groups? And then specifically for me, did my opinion of writing groups change once I was published? And for you, does your position in publishing ever affect your dynamic in the group? Hmm. Meaning, do people pay more attention to what you say because you're in the business. Yeah, I'm a really so, important person in my writing group. Well, why don't, why don't, just kidding. Well, why don't we start with, why don't we start with that? We'll take them in reverse That's order. Right. So let's yeah. let's start with that. No, um and I'll start at the reverse end of that question too, yeah. which is no, no, absolutely not. Actually, in my <laughs> writing group, um such as it is, we we don't meet as often or as regularly as we used to since many of us have now had babies and multiple babies and uh it's just hard. Right. <laughs> but um they are all much published writers and award-winning writers and yeah everybody in your group yes. is a published writer including you yeah you, yeah but i'm a ghostwriter but yeah um so uh and also you know i work in i don't work in editorial so right. or in marketing or in whatever like so um so i don't bring any sort of different kind of weight to the table when it comes to our critique groups um how did we meet the main person in my group who is the connector friend for me, the one right. who introduced the me to the other, at yes, that person. is also the connector to you. She's the the woman who set us up. Right. So, um, and she is the Sarah one McLean. good thing she's done in her life. <laughs> she is Sarah McLean in and, a dark, uh, sordid life, writing cheap, tawdry pornography for women. <laughs> so Sarah knew that I was writing, and I had been ghostwriting, and when. I moved to Brooklyn. She invited me to this writing group. Uh, I will actually have to check with her and see if they'd been meeting regular, regularly or if this was a, a new thing. Because I can't remember. Now, did you know 
the other women in the group before. I did not know. Uh, I'm going to name them. Why not? I, All I right. don't care. Melissa Walker, who yeah. I had met a couple of times. Again, I think through you and Sarah. Yeah. I don't believe that I knew Nicole Osto until this writing group. Okay. Um, and there have been other people that have come in and out of that writing group. Uh, one in particular, another na- another woman named Sarah, who I adore, and she actually is not published. So um, that was nice for me, having another non-published writer right. there. Uh, she currently li- lives in Singapore. She just moved. So, um, so she's not in our group at the moment. But she's welcome back when she comes back to the States. Anyway, so it's You won't really... let her, like, FaceTime in or something? <laughs> I think the hours are, are not ah, so that's true. That's true. useful for that. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, so my introduction to my into my writing group was through one person. And uh, we talked about this before, and you have a great saying, which is um, you should always be in a critique group with people who are a step better than you. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, I think so. They really, A, they've just got tremendous expertise and a wealth of knowledge that I don't have in terms of, um, in terms of their agenting experiences and their publishing experiences. And they, what. they have insights. That they exactly. Can yeah. yeah. Um, and of course they're just talented writers to boot and they're also really fun, great, amazing, smart women. So we have a lot of fun together and, um, I'm, I'm hoping we'll get, I, I, we just saw two of them today. So that was three of them. Oh my gosh. We, we saw all three yeah. of them today. Um, so anyway, so that's my writing group. Okay. Yeah. How about you? You actually have a cool, I feel like you have a cool story because you had a writing group that was sort of, I mean, 20 years ago, right? Yeah. We're talking- well, no, not 20. I'm not that old. It was more like 15, 15 <laughs> which isn't that much less than 20. Shut up. Anyway. No, I, you know, I sort of stumbled into this group. Um, it was a, a friend who knew somebody in the group and, and knew that I was having a lot of trouble trying to get published, trying to get things finished and said to the woman who ran this group, Hey, can my friend Barry join your group? He really (laughs) needs, you know, he needs to be around people who are doing this basically. And so I joined the group and it was, it was an interesting experience for me because again, I was certainly one of the, you know, low men on the totem pole in this group. Uh, you know, there were two, two people who had successfully published novels uh, in one case, many novels. There was a a guy who had published many short stories, mm. and uh, and and then there were some other people who were just who were sort of like me. Uh, so that was good because I got to see real writers yeah. and sort of understand and, and learn from them. But it was a little weird too because the nature of the group it sort of over time became more of a social gathering. I mean, that's always a danger, which is a danger in some of these groups. And I know that, you know, by the, probably about a year or so before I actually sold my first book, the group had sort of fallen apart. Mm. You know, I, I had tried, this is going to sound very strange. I had tried to sort of, uh, uh, modernize and, and streamline the group to make it quite frankly, more helpful for me. Okay. One of the quirks of this group, and you have to remember, I don't know if this will help people or not. This is the late nineties, early two thousands. We all met. We met every two weeks. You and were we, all like writing on scribes and like writing on scribes. <laughs> you want to go with that? I'm leaving. I'm leaving that in. I'm leaving that in. That's you had not qu- coming quill out. Quill and ink. You know. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Don't try. Don't try to make there, up. You for were it waiting now. for the printing press to be de- developed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Keep, keep them coming. <laughs> keep them coming. I can take it. Anyway, it's not the age, babe. It's the experience. So. Uh, it was a strange group because we'd get together every two weeks 
and we would read our work aloud. Oh. Now, as a result, there was a limit to how much you could read. Right. So you were only allowed to bring 20 pages each week. Mm. So I made sure I brought exactly 20 pages because I wanted to get the most out of what I could do. Reading your work aloud can be helpful, but it's not necessarily conducive to great critiquing. No, sir. Because... Well, also, was that the first time people were seeing it? Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Right. So, you know, I, after a few years of this, (laughs) realized, like, this isn't helping me as much as it could. Yeah. And I proposed, oh, what if we distributed copies, like, at each meeting, give each other copies of what we would discuss at the next meeting. Yeah. There was some pushback on that. Wow. Apparently, it was a financial thing Some for some people. Yeah. Again, like, not everybody had a computer in of their course. house with yeah. a printer. No, You know, not everybody had email so we could exchange stuff. So, you know, and it just, I realized, oh, this group isn't going to be for me what I need it to be. Mm-hmm. And again, at the same time, it was becoming more and more of a social thing than an actual writing group. And so, by about a year before I sold my first book, it had pretty much fallen apart. Mm. Um you know, Sarah wants to know, yeah, I'm a fan of writing groups. I think they're great. I've said that before on the show. My opinion hasn't changed since being published, but I think it's become more difficult for me to find a group to fit into because, you know, there are people that I've shared work with before and now we actually have deadlines. So I and was just going to yeah, say, there's so many yeah. ti- there's so many times where, you know, I'll say, okay, here's, you know, here's a manuscript, here's a draft, you know, and it's, it's, it's May 1st and I have to turn this into my editor in July. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you know, six weeks to get back to me and, and, and I'll still have time to do some corrections or revisions Uh before I turn it into my editor and people just don't have the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if I didn't have to turn it in, I, you know, I would wait. Right. I would wait and see what they think and yeah. start on something else. But I have to turn it in at a certain time. That so started that, to become a lot of yeah. a problem with our group, too. It's particularly, um, I, you know, Sarah in particular has several books out per year. And as a result, her deadlines are really are really tight. And, yeah, we would, pick, we would choose a date and be, we'd be reading her pages. And then something would happen and that date would get moved. And then it was too late for her. So... The next meeting just sort of became a catch-up session or a gossip session, which right. is super fun and helpful. Um, I, w- I will say that I think what I found most effective when that sort of social intrusion started happening was, and I think everyone else would agree with me, that we focused less on critiquing actual pages and instead used the idea, used our sessions for brainstorming and yeah, idea and, I, and, and, and yeah. honestly, you know, when I spoke before about my group devolving into sort of a social group, I, I should have added that I think it's actually okay when writing groups become less about looking at pages and more about talk yeah. because it can be valuable for brainstorming Absolutely. purposes to compare notes yeah. and, and quite frankly, as a support group, yeah. you know, that can be great. My group had not become that it really had become we all sat down and you know everybody had a cup of coffee and just talked about their kids which at the time i didn't have any kids so that wasn't really interesting for me or you know just talked about whatever and they were all nice people and i enjoyed being with them but it wasn't you needed something yeah Yeah. it wasn't giving me anything at that point so yeah I, i i think a lot of times you know the more you have professional working writers in your writing group the less actual critiquing you're going to end up doing. Unless it might be, oh, I have a scene. Can you guys help me with this scene? Uh, Something like that. Whereas whereas when it's people who are, what's the the phrase, pre-published? When it's people who are still working their way towards publication, time 
is is something that you flexible. have yeah. a lot of or mm-hmm. more of or yeah it's more flexible and as a result you can spend a lot of time on this stuff so i i i think it's not that your opinion of writing groups change as you advance i think it's that your needs change and what's practical changes which is why i think it's also important to have in addition to or instead of an official writing group to have some sort of casual critique partners that you deal with maybe even just over email i have a couple of those people who um we're we're just fans of each other's work right and i think we're good sounding boards for each other so we'll email each other and we're long distance and you know it's really helpful sometimes just to even get a brand new fresh perspective right so yeah there you go writing groups we're fans so Kent, about a month ago, commenting on episode 37, the one in the park, was talking about support systems for writers. And we, we had talked about this in that episode about, you know, when you were younger, was your family, mm-hmm. were your friends supportive, were mine, that sort of thing. And Kent talks about how, uh, for, for the most part, people in his life were supportive, except for his father. Uh, and he, but he, he talks about... Um, you know, he says he can't, doesn't matter how supportive people are or aren't, he can't stop himself anyway. He's going to keep doing this. Every career he's ever considered has only ever been considered in terms mm. of being a support system for his, his writing. And uh, says, you know, this may be obsessive and unhealthy, but hey, if I didn't write, I'd probably explode in unwritten words. Is it like that for either of you guys? <laughs> so how about that? I mean, what Kent is getting at, if I can sort of paraphrase for him, is, is writing a compulsion for you? Or is it just something you enjoy and you like doing and you want to do? Or are you driven to do it? Okay. Which can be a tough question. I mean, yeah, it is a tough question. Um, I don't know that it's a clinical compulsion. <laughs> well, um, I am not a psychiatrist. <laughs> so, yeah. But I've been writing actively since I was eight years old. Yeah. So writing is something I turn to when I need to sort out emotions, when I just want to daydream, whatever. So I think, I think there's a a flaw in the thinking that you have to be a compulsive writer in order to be published. Number one, I would agree with that. And number two, um, I also think there's a flaw in thinking that you're only a real writer. If a, you would give up everything else in the world for it and B, that needs to be your main source of income. I think all of those are, are, like myths in this construct of, of writerhood that we have. Which, which is not to say that they're not often true things for people, yeah. but just that they're not necessary. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I agree. I mean, you know, especially the bit about you don't have to be driven in order to succeed. You know, I, I don't know if you know any people like this, but I know people who, you know, again, like you, I've been writing since I was very, very young. Mm-hmm. And it's all I ever wanted to do with my life. And then I meet people who are like, oh, yeah, you know, I was 25 and I just got out of grad school. And I thought I should write a book. And yeah. I wrote a novel in a couple of weeks and I sold it. <laughs> and yeah. those people don't have long careers because I kill them. <laughs> I did not think you were going there. You guys, I wish you could see his face right now. He's totally serious. I kill them and I bury them in shallow graves <laughs> because they're not worth the effort of digging six feet down. And, but those people exist and they're always amazing to me that it always amazes me that somebody can have sort of a, a laissez faire or even whimsical attitude about this thing that has been this driving force in my life since I can remember this thing that I have obsessed over since I was a child that people can be like, 
eh, one day I figured I'd write a book. And I'm like, what? And I did it. What are you talking yeah. And I did it, and, and it I succeeded. Great. And I'm uh-huh. like, are you kidding me? I've been trying to do this since yeah. I was seven. And so it, it, it it's very strange. And, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm driven or compelled to some degree. I've talked before on the show about, you know, when, when things were not going well and I was getting a lot of rejections, how I would quit writing. Uh-huh. And then a few always months later, back. I would always come back, which to me is the mark of... Of, of a real writer. Of obsession. Be- yeah. Well, not th- not necessarily a real writer. I don't want to say that. But just the mark of obsession. Like when you when you have zero success at something, when something kicks you and punches you in the heart and leaves you gasping by the side of the road, and then you go back to it again yeah. and again and again, that's probably obsession. I guess I think that my writing for me is more of a tool and more of an outlet. And I... Th- none of that is groundbreaking. People obviously use writing as an outlet. But... But I, what I mean by that is I don't sit down and think, what will I write today that I can turn into a lucrative career path? Right. Instead, it's like, God, I can't stop thinking about this. Sure. I need to get it out. Yeah. Or, well, and I think that Kent was hint, hinting yeah. at that in his question. You know, he said he would explode with unwritten words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think this idea of... Um, yeah, of, of exploding and needing to get them out, obviously, is very legitimate. But, but. I think what, what you have hinted at in your response is something we don't talk about a lot, which is the idea of writing. Writing is two different things. There's writing the action of writing, uh-huh. and then there's writing as a career. But there's publishing. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And which is why we say this is a podcast about writing uh-huh. and publishing, but because right, they are different. two different yeah. things. I know a lot of incredibly talented writers who either aren't interested in getting published or are sort of philosophically interested, but aren't taking any active steps to get there, but they write more than I do. Yeah. And they're beautiful writers, but they're, it's just not getting published. Isn't on their agenda. (laughs) It's the Emily Dickinson path to success. Exactly. Yeah. Write stuff, stick it in your sock drawer and wait for future generations Uh to discover it and Uh love it. Oh, Emily. (laughs) Someday there will be a Tumblr discovered in the discovered. corners of the internet. Exactly. Somebody will find a Tumblr and it will be the most beautiful writing. Oh my God. I think that's actually very possible. Man, that's weird. So should we give people a parenting update? I think they're dying for a parenting I think they're update. dying for a parenting update. Dude, so we have l- a lot of parenting updates. L- well, you know, the most important thing that we should mention is that Leia has a little sibling now. <laughs> she does it's true she does she was chasing him around the house today yeah uh-huh his name is bb8 <laughs> <laughs> and and he's adorable uh yes my my brother for for hanukkah gave me the uh the bb8 remote control droid and it's Pretty freaking awesome. Ad- I, I will say it is absolutely adorable, and the baby loves it. I just run him around the house, and she's like, whoa, what's she that? She, like, kicks his head off. Kicks his head off constantly. Fortunately, he is resilient, and his head goes right back on. <laughs> it's attached by magnets, so no harm, no foul. But yes, we do have a new member of our family. Yes, yeah. yes. He's actually watching over us as we podcast. How does it feel to be a parent of a robot? You know, it, it's as glorious as I thought it would be. <laughs> and no diapers. Oh, that's true. No diapers. Yeah. But, no, oh, but... Uh, but you know, the, the key here to this parenting update is that she does chase him around the house, which means she is walking like crazy. Like crazy. Like to the point that I 
uh, I'm a little shocked at it how quickly it just, happened. Like she was doing, you know, two, maybe three sort of stagger steps before collapsing yeah. onto furniture or one of us uh-huh. for weeks now. Uh-huh. And then literally overnight, literally overnight. I mean, like for a few weeks, she would take like two or three stagger steps and then sort of collapse onto a piece of furniture, yeah. a soft one, or one of us, and that was about it. And, and we then, had to like encourage. We had her to, to encourage her steps. to take yeah. those steps. And then suddenly, like today, as we, the day we're recording, Sunday, December thirteenth, the day that she'll live in infamy, she just took off. She and just, just pushed us away. Yeah. And I mean, we were at our friend's house, yeah. and she. I don't know if she just wasn't even realizing that she was doing it or if she was inspired by well, all the other kids that you know, are around. I mean, I took her to my brother's house for Hanukkah yeah. the night before and there was an inkling this was coming because my mother was walking around with her holding her hand and at one point she shook off my mother's hand and took four or five steps down the hall and then braced herself against the wall. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, that's kind of new. Uh, and I thought, oh, okay, so now she's up to four or five steps. Right, yeah. But today, no, suddenly, was like it was 15. just, today it was just like she's at one end of the room, and she just Took walked, off. booked over to the other end of the room, no yeah. problem. Yeah. And didn't even act like it was a big deal. No, she didn't was look not at, even impressed with herself. Didn't look at us for applause or anything, just like, nope, this is what I do now. I walk she's across like, the room. She's like, what, the toy that I wanted was over there, so uh, I went and got I it. I guess I got to walk over there yeah. and get it. Okay, NBD. <laughs> so, like, now we've got this kid who walks. Yeah. Which is like awesome and horrifying at the same time. No, I love it. I'm so excited about this newfound little baby thing because (laughs) in all honesty, like physically she spent a solid three months wanting to be walked nonstop with, with both hands. So my back was crying all the time, like literally three months. And then she went to one hand, which was so much better for my back, but still like, that's a lot of bending over. And now I'm just thrilled that yeah. she's like ready to do it on her own. Yeah. I'm I'm worried about getting to that phase where she wants to walk in times where we can't let her walk. Mm. You know, like she's too little to walk down the street, for example, so she still has to go in the stroller. Well, she can walk a little bit down the street. A little bit. Yeah. But you know, I'm imagining taking her to the grocery store, which is, you know, a good ten, fifteen and minute her walk. Screaming, yeah. And her stroller and her just screaming her head off because she wants to walk and it's like, No, daddy's not gonna let you get hit by a car today. Right. You know? yeah. like, Sorry, I love you too much. I know I'm horrible. Anyway, she yeah. and she's also just doing a whole bunch of other big kid things. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, she she points to a lot of things and, and she gives you food, which is kind of funny. She wants to feed you. Oh, and then the other day, she just picked up a Cheerios box. She did. And I'm sitting there watching. She picked it up, opened it, reached inside, pulled out the bag, unrolled the bag, thrust her hand inside, and just started eating Cheerios right yep. out of the box. And I'm like, yep. who the hell do you think you are? Uh-huh. Yeah, that was funny. So, yeah. our, our big little girl. Our big little girl. I know. Very adorable. So there you go. That's a parenting update. There's so much more to come. We know. We know. And we're just, but we're constantly surprised and delighted by the, by the things that, that happen. Totally. So let's, let's give a writing update. Okay. What, uh, how's, how's it going? What's going on? Talk to me. Well, I still have several agents that have my full manuscript. If we're talking about old stuff. And this week, something exciting happened, which was that I got an R&R. Which is... Not rest and relaxation. (laughs) Quite the opposite. (laughs) Um, It's a revise and resubmit request. Yes. So uh, basically, what was mostly exciting about this, a lot of things were exciting, but one exciting thing was that the agent, um, when she requested the full, she seemed really excited based on her email, based on the sample pages that I had given. And 
How many sample pages did you give? I'm curious. I think it was the first chapter. Okay. So it was about 12 or 15 pages. Okay. And then um, three days later, she emailed back with the R&R request. So that's fast. That's really fast. And she said all the right things, which was, I was, I was so inspired by your query. I was so inspired by your sample pages. I love the full, I had someone else read it. And she loved the writing. Yeah. I mean, she, she, she talked a lot about how did, beautiful yeah. the writing was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she recommended some changes to the pacing, particularly the first half of the book, yeah. which is the story of my life, as we all know. Um, <laughs> but no, I feel but, like that's the story of everybody's life. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, uh, so I just wrote her back yesterday and said that I'd be happy to do that. Um, Partly because I, I do agree with a lot of what she says, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm totally open to exploring that and seeing, and uh, and also partly because it feels like it won't be, you know, I just finished to be candid this this ov- major overhaul of that book. Right, I rewrote it start to finish basically. Yeah. Um, I'm not interested in doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> as terrible as it sounds, this just feels so overwhelming no, to no, me. No, of course not. Um, and this doesn't feel like that. Like okay. this feels like I can I can make some significant edits just to the first third or so um, that will really help speed things up and, and clarify things. So anyway, that's all a long way of saying that um, progress is being made. I still have, who knows? I still have a bunch of other yeah, agents yeah. who have the full and a bunch of other open queries too. Um, but it was exciting to, to get movement for the first time, really. Yeah. Um, and so quickly. I mean, it's so really quickly. rare to yeah. hear back that quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't hear back that quickly from my agent who ended up representing me. Right. I mean, it yeah. took her a couple of weeks to get back yeah, to me. Yeah. And even then she'd only read the first half of the book. Oh, funny. Yeah. yeah. So, so, that, anyway. that's, so that's exciting. Cool. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Thanks. Good. And, um... Otherwise, yeah, I actually haven't been working all week. So, um, again, tough time of year. So, uh, but I will be, so I'll be working on, I guess now, now it'll be interesting because now how am I going to divide my time between working on the new thing versus doing some of these edits. Plus we've got the picture book that you started working on that we need to take a look at. Did we talk about that on on this podcast? We talked about it last week. Oh, we did? We mentioned that. That we were going to be working on something. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that. That's I think the ball's thing. in my court on it that is. right it now. It is. currently in your court. So, yeah. yeah. How about you? Uh, you know, I am wrapping up the the preliminary work for the revision class that I'm going to be teaching uh, in January, which the irony of me teaching a revision class is delicious since I am notoriously scornful and hateful and loathful and and contemptuous of revising, but I'll be doing it anyway. And you can do it with me in this manuscript. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I can show you my videos. Uh, so, no, I'm, I'm wrapping up that stuff right now, so that is occupying most of my time. But then I will uh, probably next week be jumping back into the Billy story and hopefully wrap that up and then be working on, uh, as I said before, taking one week to work on each of several yeah. different projects and see where they take me. I love this. I feel like I need to devise a, a brief questionnaire that you can complete at the end of each week during this five-week experiment. That's a experiment. great idea. Right, I'm going to do it. That's a great idea. I also I hesitate even to mention this, but what the hell, I will. And if nothing comes of it, we'll just never talk about it again. <laughs> but if something comes of it, this will be the first time I mentioned it. There is a comic book story I have wanted to ah. tell for about 15 years. Uh, with a very famous comic book character. And I finally wrote up about a 10-page synopsis of this and handed it over to an artist that I know. 
to see if this person would be interested in collaborating on this story and seeing if we could actually get the comic book company to agree to publish it. I'm being very coy here. Of course. I have to be. And uh, we'll see what comes of it. Yeah. It, it's being looked at right now. So I have to say, you know, I'm I'm not someone who grew up reading comic books. I would not at all which, call myself which a comic book fan. does not speak well to your parents. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Um, you, you know all this. I'm just telling this to the sure. listeners. I'm not a comic fan. I will certainly, there are certainly comics that I enjoy. Well, I should, the movies, I should say, not the books. Um, but you told me all about this idea and I was riveted and I thought it was really great. So I'm, fingers well, crossed for you. Yeah, I hope, it's I hope it happens. Story. I hope it happens. It, it, it's a strange and, and frustrating situation to be in where you have a great idea for a story and you have to ask permission to tell it. Of course. You know, because somebody else owns the characters. Yeah, it's fascinating. So that's... That's weird and frustrating, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's kind of like the comic book industry invented fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of it started there. Yeah, uh, you know, and a lot, of, and the comic book industry is really an early example of fans of a particular medium, gro- quote unquote, growing up to control it. Right. You know, a lot of the people who came into comics in the in the 60s and 70s grew up reading the comics of the 40s and 50s right. and that's that's a little strange yeah. you know that that's not typically how this this sort of thing used to work and and that's what happened in comics so there's there's a big fan tradition there's a big fan fiction tradition yeah there's a big tradition of of uh you know even before social media and all that comics were very much an industry where the the professionals and the fans intermingled a lot yeah. and there was a lot of direct communication. Mm-hmm. Um, all of which has nothing to do with this, except for the <laughs> fact that I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that this comic book fan right here <laughs> will actually get to do this, this story that, that he would love to tell. Cool. So we will see. Uh, so let us quickly talk about recommended reading and, or what are you reading now? <laughs> well, I've been saying that I was going to do this for years, literally like two years at least, yeah. and I'm finally doing it, and it was just sort of accidental. I'm rereading the entire Harry Potter series. There you go. I'm currently in He's a wizard. three. <laughs> Wait, am I am I in three or four? Now I can't remember. I'm in Azkaban, whichever one that is. Har- Barry, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. Um, yeah, I've been, you know, between my, my illness last week and then again this week, uh, I've had a lot of time in bed to read, and I've... They're delicious books to read, uh, of cool. course. So, so that's been really fun. And also, to me, they always felt sort of very autumnal. Um, huh. The Harry Potter series, each book starts in the summer and then ends at the end of the school year. Okay. But I feel like the bulk of it seems to be Halloween and Christmas. Mm. Um, and that's probably not even true. As I'm reading it, I'm like, is that true? But it, to me, they just feel autumnal. That, so now that I you like mention it, it they, they feel autumnal to me, too, just based on the covers. Yeah, the covers have that. a very autumnal palette. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of oranges well, and browns. Covers? Well, that's true. There are multiple covers <laughs> now. Are. Yeah. Anyway, so the original so that's what covers. I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Cool. Uh, I am extraordinarily pleased to announce that I actually finished a prayer for the city. What? <laughs> let, let, let there be let there be songs of hallelujah and hosanna sung in the streets yeah it took a while uh because i've been extremely busy and just have not had a lot of time and also nonfiction takes me longer to read than fiction for whatever sure. reason it was a truly spectacular book um it was so heart-wrenching in certain places there were there were places where i just had to put it down for a while because yeah. he's describing these these horrible things that have happened in these people's lives living in philadelphia um and and it was really interesting and just 
it is a tough book to read. There's there's parts of it that you'll think, do I need to know about the opening of the Philadelphia mm-hmm. shipyards in the 1800s? And it's like, well, you sort of need to know. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Good. Well, well done, Buzz Bissinger. Uh, and now I am looking forward to moving on to something else. Excellent. So there you go. Uh, and speaking of moving on to something else, we are now going to move on with our lives. You move on with yours. Thank you all for listening. You can follow us online on Twitter at, at WIRL Podcast. Visit our website, writinginreallife.com. Leave us a comment. Rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And uh, we will see you all again next week. Have a great week, everyone.